welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have your Bibles, I trust that you brought them to church. I remember the old school pastors used to say when they come to church to bring their Bibles, you want people to know whose side you're on. And so uh, I hope they know whose side you're on, whether you have the Bible or not, but I trust you brought it this morning. If you want to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll be reading just a few verses like we did last week. I do appreciate you being here today and um, choosing to worship with us. If you vi- you're visiting, we've had a lot of visitors lately. I trust you feel welcome and um, nobody tells you to move because you got their seat, but um, if it happens file a complaint, the complaint box out there with your check, and um, we'll be sure to read it if it's in an envelope with a check. The higher the amount of the check, the more seriously we'll take your complaint. (laughs) I think I just created a policy right there off the fly, but um, I do appreciate those who choose to be here that Maybe you're looking for a home church. Maybe somebody's invited you. With that in mind, I trust that you'll invite your friends and family over the next couple weeks. It sounds kind of non-spiritual, but people are willing to come to church, A, when people invite them that care about them. Statistics tell us that that's true, but around Easter time, and um, people will come to church at Easter. And there's a lot of reasons why, a lot of opinions why, but I think the reason is Jesus. There really is something about the name of Jesus. And maybe more than that, there is something about the resurrection of Jesus. Now that's an understatement, if there's ever been an understatement made from a pulpit. There is something about the resurrection of Jesus. It changed history, it changed all religions forever. It is the foundation of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus. We're here today on a Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week. And people, whether they realize it or not, they're intrigued by Jesus. There is something about that name. And I assure you there's power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know friends, we know family, who need to hear the message of the gospel and who need to respond. And so I trust you'll invite people next week um, to the drama that'll be on Palm Sunday evening and then, of course, Easter Sunday, April 9th. We've got a postcard that you can hand out to people. I've been telling you about the community Easter celebration that Saturday from preschool through fifth grade where we'll have a lot of fun. There'll be a lunch, but we'll preach and teach the gospel. And uh, I trust that you... you're concerned. I trust that I'm concerned about people that we know who need the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. Today we're going to talk about the transforming power of money. (laughs) We're going to finish what was started last week and um, 
I'll try to do better today. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to, chapter 9, sorry. Just threw somebody for a big loop. Do you even know what you're preaching? Yeah. If you want to stand as we honor God's word, if we believe that it's the word of God, then it's the word of God from beginning to end, even the parts we don't like. I walked in this morning and I saw a lot of green, not money, but pews and upholstery. And my first thought was, what did I do? My second thought was, you preached about money. And they knew you didn't finish. But now that everybody's where they're supposed to be, and if we can get those that are smoking out in the parking lot and those that are hanging around <laughs> in the chairs in here, it would be a little more full. Go out there, Rick, go out there. I'm just kidding. There's another 15 out there on security. <laughs> if anybody ever walks in this place with a gun and gets close to me, if I live through it, I'm going to shoot every security person out here. <laughs> We got enough security to protect the president. <laughs> anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. We read it last week. We read it today. Really focus on this passage and talk about stewarding our finances. Paul is writing here to this church who Justin has told us is a messed up church about every Sunday for the last year, Right? But we find out something about this church. They were eager to give. Now, I won't go into details about why, but in verse 5 of chapter 9 here, we hear Paul say, therefore, we'll look at what therefore is therefore in a second, he thought it necessary to exhort or encourage the brethren, the believers, that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Take up the offering of your bounty, Whereof you had notice before, uh, if you have another version, it'll say you made a pledge. That's that notice. You made a pledge before, and now I'm getting, I'm asking you to take up the money. That the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. Some versions say extortion. It's powerful. I'll explain that. But this I say, he that sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes or decides in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Father, we thank you for your word. God, most of us in here say and act as if we believe it, word for word. And I pray today we'll be encouraged, we'll be We've talked about time, we've talked about resources today, and last week we're talking about our financial stewardship. And God, while we're praying, I, I, I trust and hope that there are people that could say right now to you individually, thank you for your blessings, thank you for your resources that you have given me, given my family, blessed us with, help us to be good stewards of it. According to your word, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For the last several weeks, we've talked about perspective. Last Sunday, we talked about 
Stewardship. This month we've talked about stewardship, a biblical perspective of stewardship and what stewardship is. And stewardship is not just being a manager of money. It's being a manager of what God has blessed us with. But for the last couple weeks, we've talked about the stewardship of our finances. I I did read a story, uh, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, where two men ended up somehow stranded on an island. And one man was stressed out. He's all over the place. He's looking for help. He's trying to make smoke. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the other guy is just laid back, soaking up the sun. And the stressed out guy looks at the guy who's enjoying the time in the sun and says, why are you not, so, why are you not upset? And he said, well, I have a good job. I make $10,000 a week, and I tithe regularly. And the guy said, what's that got to do with anything? We're stranded. He said, it's stewardship month. My pastor will find me. It's stewardship month. I'm glad you're here. I'm, I really want to focus and kind of start off with what I've already said. That if we believe the word of God, that God loved the world so much he gave his only son. If we believe the word of God that we're born into sin, born separated from God, born at enmity with God in need of salvation, we confess our sin, repent of our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we believed in creation, we believe in the second coming, the first coming, the Lord's return. If we believe it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. If we believe to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and all those other verses that we memorize because we love them. To be a faithful student of God's word is to also believe that God speaks about our finances and our requirement of stewardship. I know it's difficult and usually I can go from tell a good joke and have everybody laughing to say something serious and like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I know how this works. I'm not Dave Ramsey, don't claim to be. Not Larry Burkett, for those of you who were before Dave Ramsey, don't claim to be. My job is not to be your financial advisor, per se, and tell you where to put your money. Right now, I don't know that anybody knows, quite honestly, where to put it other than a pillowcase. It draws about as much interest, and you know you can get it back. But I do know what we decide to do with our money, how we invest our money, really has a lot of implications and applications spiritually in our life. Jesus talked about money, as I said last week, a lot. Now, you might be saying, well, he didn't talk about taking up an offering a lot. No, but Jesus spoke about money as much as heaven or hell. Why? Because he's God. And he knows and he knew this is not a new problem. Dealing with money is not a new issue. As long as there's been a coin or some type of exchange of currency, there have been problems. People have owed money. People have not paid their money. Just until recently in social media did we start to find out who didn't pay. Don't be that person, please. Please. 
Don't, don't, don't vent out your social grievances on social media, especially if you're a member of this church. <laughs> that would never happen. No, it doesn't. It's, it's just other people do it. I can't believe you. Are. Anyway, don't do it. But anytime we talk about money, people cringe. People get tight. No pun intended. But a principle that's important for us to understand is that not only did Jesus talk about money, the Word of God teaches us about money. And most people in church, the, the verse that people know about money in the Bible is, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's about the extent of the memory verses we have on money, right? I've got a few more today that we'll help us out with. But that the love of money is the root of all evil is a, is a mouthful of implications. When you think about it, and it's not part of the text, it's not part of the sermon, it says a lot. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all evil. Having money and loving money are two completely different things. But look at the end of that verse. The root of all evil Money is not the root of all evil. But let's just stop and take a little quick time out. The root of all evil? If we were to ask uh, a question to any church-going person, what, what's the root of all evil? And you didn't know this was a verse. I wonder how many people would answer money. We'd probably say the devil. Or you'd call a person's name. They're the root of all evil. But Jesus said, the word of God says money or the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm not going to break this verse down completely. But a person who has a love, a passion for money and the implications of money is capable of all sorts of evil. Now, you don't have to look very far. Please don't look around at people in here. Nobody in here has any of these issues and problems that I'm talking about. But watch TV. This is as political as I'm going to get today. Watch politicians. And it's from local to federal. And what's the line? Follow the money. You want answers? Follow the money. It's money and power, and one is just as equal as the other. Love of money is the root of all evil, and that's about the extent of the verses that we know. When Jesus talks about money often, today I want to skip a lot of the information that I maybe bored you with last week as I introduced this whole idea and talk about and mention, if you will, five biblical principles concerning financial stewardship. Now, it goes without saying that the whole idea was to talk about biblical perspectives for the last several months. Now, a biblical perspective of stewardship, stewarding our time a couple weeks ago, stewarding our treasures last week and this week. If we understand what a steward is, and last week we kind of highlighted this, and even with time, we understand that being a steward is very, it makes it very clear that we're not the owner. 
Being a steward is a manager of someone else's resources. And so we talked about that with our time, talked about that with our, with our talents somewhat and our gifts, and we talked about it with our resources, with our finances. If we have no time, then resources are pointless. If we have no time, then our talents and our gifts are pointless. And how we steward what God has given us in our time, in our talents, and in our treasures is based on the understanding that it's not ours in the first place. And that put, changes the whole perspective, especially on giving. I said a lot last week, and I know, and partly I'm apologetic for it because I felt like I wasted a lot of time personally. But I hope if anything happened, if you were here last week, we laid the groundwork for the principle of our perspective based on stewardship that it's not ours in the first place. It changes our thoughts. It changes our perspective when we understand it didn't belong to me anyway. So I want to look at five biblical principles concerning financial stewardship. Number one is going to be the longest for those of you who are still awake and maybe taking notes. So don't get nervous. Two, three, four, and five will go fast, I hope. This is foundational. Number one is foundational. Because if this wasn't true, then it would be pointless for me to be up here talking about it. Number one, giving to God is biblical. Now, and it's like somebody's thinking, really? I know that. Maybe if you were a pastor for, I'll give you a year, you would start to understand why giving to God is biblical, although it sounds very practical and very obvious, might change some perspectives, because you hear a lot. Do you want to hear a lot? I'm going to throw this out there real quick. Um, giving to God is Biblical. I didn't use these words lightly. I don't just throw titles together. Usually words have meanings and words mean something. The first three words of this first principle needs to get our attention. We're giving to God. It is biblical to give to God. Now, I'm, I'm trying not to over-establish this point and thin it out or dilute it. But many times there's a misunderstanding of why we give. Now, I think it's a self-justification for why we don't give, many times, personally. When we, notice, we, we're all in this together. Sometimes I feel like I need to go sit down on the pew and talk. So you understand, we're in this together. When we give our money, we are giving to God. Now, there's some theologians sitting back there with their legs crossed right now saying, God doesn't need our money. <laughs> and you go hang out with the security guys for the next 40 <laughs> minutes. I, I, I'd, like, I'd like to argue with you right now, but I don't know who you are. I'm kind of feeling it right in this section, but I don't know. No. Um, it's the same argument that God doesn't need you. Why am I here? 
Now, I don't, I don't like to be so high in the clouds that I'm never down here on earth, and that's for certain people. God does need you. If he didn't, he'd let you go to heaven or just put you in a closet somewhere. He does need us. He's called us to do his will, to do his mission in the Great Commission. He needs this church. He needs the members of this church. He needs the pastors. He needs the pastoral staff. He needs the deacons. He needs the Sunday school teachers. Yeah, I know God is sovereign and he's all powerful and he can pluck you off the face of the planet and make one just like you. But he needs us. He wants us here to serve him and to do his will. And in the same way, no, God does own it all, but he needs us to give so that his will is accomplished. So take that off the table. I could argue a little more and maybe make a little more scholastic arguments for some of you who need that or want that. But there's a reason we're still here. And there's a reason we have resources. And yeah, I figured this out a long time ago. You gotta have money to survive. And the more you have, the more you want, no. The easier it is potentially to survive if you manage it right. Oh, I'm not here for that, so I'll stop. That's when it really takes a gravel road turn down a hill to nowhere. But giving to God is biblical, and it's important that we understand that we're giving to Him. We're giving for Him. I just didn't tie this together, but we talked about Annie Armstrong and a billion dollars. A billion dollars going to missionaries, hundreds of thousands of missionaries over the last 100 years to, go, to cover every square mile of North America to places we don't know about, places we won't go, places we probably couldn't go potentially, even in North America, places that we choose to not know exist. I mean, there's poverty in North America like there are in third world countries sometimes. It's just a different perspective of poverty. And they're going everywhere. A billion dollars? For, for those of you who are still there, God don't need your money. How, how does he get the gospel to them? By the missionaries who were raising money to put on the mission field so that they can have a house, have a car, have the means to go share the gospel. Because that's our calling to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right. Really simple, we're not giving to the preacher. Somebody say amen. We're not giving to the staff. We're not even giving to the church. We're giving to God. Amen. Through the church, through the conduit of the local church, which is biblical. So all of this is very biblical. It's very practically biblical. I haven't said the T word yet today, but it's tithe. We talked about it briefly last week, and I'm not going to get tied up in it because point one is the longest. Tithe is found in the Old Testament. It is found in the New Testament. Tithe is a tent. Tithe is not just a tent. It's the best tent. It's the first why? Here's the practical principle that just vaguely covers a lot of things. God deserves our best. 
Now, I know that's been taken in a lot of directions through the centuries of the local church. Has it not? God deserves our best suit. Oh, where's he going with this? I can feel it. I can feel it. I like it. God deserves our best singing. Fill in the blank. Some of you are, this is the most anticipatory I've seen many of you in a long, long time. Where's he going with this? Where's he, I don't know. I just took a turn. Didn't even hit the signal. God does deserve our best. And what we do, he deserves 100% of our best. We ought, to, we ought to do everything we do for him as unto the Lord, pleasing him, wanting to please him, and put our best into it. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That covers a lot of ground. What are we doing? He deserves our best. Now, I'm going to be quite honest. Man has messed that up and put it into their oral law as to what they deem to be someone's best. I'm not here to play with that. Some of you would like that, but I'm not. I'm going to move right on past it and say, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and give him your best. He deserves your best. There's a, there's a little phrase that goes on around here. The staff knows it. Leaders know it. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Most of the time, I, I'm pretty perfect, but I'm not saying I am. <laughs> but I say something like this. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. If we're not going to do it right, you know the rest of the line, don't do it at all. God deserves our best. We've had conversations budget-wise. If we can't do it well and pleasing to God, then let's not do it because he deserves our best. We don't want to give God a bad name. There's an, uh, Jerry Fowler used to say this, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. Why? We're representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator. Let's don't go out there and, and represent some sloppy God, Amen. some incapable God. So whatever we do, let's do it well. It's our best. I said this last week, for those of you who were paying attention, you know this. Here's the question. Do you believe, that's the question from you to me, do you believe tithing is biblical? And I said yes. And I thought about it this week, and today I'm going to say yes. I also believe it's a minimum. I think tithing's a good baseline. It's in the Old Testament. We give God our first vegetables, fruits, whatever. In the New Testament, I want you to look at, I think it may have it on the screen. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus had some of his most entertaining conversations with the Pharisees. By entertaining, I mean like ninja chopping, <laughs> entertaining. I, one of my goals in life as a Christian is to be able to cut people to the heart like Jesus did, but yet sin not. I, I got the cutting down. <laughs> it's the no sinning that I struggle with. Whoa! It's a good Greek word, but it sounds like what it is. Whoa, 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 where are you going? You hypocrites. 
And he talks to these Pharisees, these scribes, these hypocrites, and he say, you pay your tithe on all this stuff, and you should do it. This is, this is the RNV, redneck version. And you should do it. The end, he says, and you ought to have. But he says, you omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. What is Jesus saying to these Pharisees, these scribes, these hypocrites? What a word. It means you're, you're putting... You're putting this paramount duty on paying a tithe. By the way, read it. And you should. But you leave out these other issues like mercy and faith and just and all those things. And you ought to do both, you hypocrite. Now listen, Jesus, Jesus, I'm not going to do it. But Jesus could very well come in here today and preach the same thing. Woe to you hypocrites. Not, not anybody in this church, but he could come to some church and say that. You give, but yet you don't forgive. You have no grace. You have no mercy. You have no faith. These weightier matters because you're tied to the law. You're tied to checking off a box. You're tied to getting your metallic blue star in your Sunday school chart. Or any, some of you remember the day where you filled out your offering envelope, brought Bible, Gave, tender. And he says, you're, you're a hypocrite. And he's not saying do one and not the other. He's saying you should do both. But they tied themselves to the law. They tied themselves to a checking off a box. And I read behind a scholar years ago, and I've had this phrase, and it's in this sermon and some others. If I give less than a tenth of my increase, I am showing less commitment for Jesus than the Jews had for the law. In our text that I read, verses five through seven, it's important to understand this. It starts off with the word therefore, which there's four verses before that tells us what it's there for. But 2 Corinthians chapter nine is a follow-up from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm not gonna bore you with all of that, but you can go back and read 1 Corinthians 16, one through four, and, and you should because I'm gonna, I'm gonna point to some practicality here about instructions for giving. So when Paul says to this church in 2 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, that you should get your offering together, just ride with me for a second. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he had talked about the collections and how we're to take collections in the church. And the church was excited about giving. And they made, according to our text today, they made pledges. I'm not a pledge kind of person. Why? If you know me, you know why. I have trust issues. If somebody comes in here and says, well, I'm going to pledge to give $10,000. I'm not going to sleep well until I know they've given it. <laughs> now, if it's $10, I don't care. You probably will, probably won't, and I won't. But I mean, big money, I'm going to, you believe they pledged to give that much? I mean, I, I'll probably lose weight. I'll probably be sick. <laughs> I don't like to pledge that kind of stuff. But that's a different story for maybe there'll be a pledging sermon. I don't know. But they had made pledges because Paul comes in and says, this is how you give. And they're like, well, we're going to give. Now, here, who they're giving to, this is the text. You got to look at both texts to understand. They're giving to preachers. What? 
No, they're given to missions. They're given to missionaries, missionaries from Macedonia. They're going to come to the church, be ready to give them money. What? Yeah, it's biblical. So take up the offering and give it to them. But he says, you've made a pledge. This is, this is here, trust me. If I'm wrong, get somebody to correct me later. Don't tell me I was wrong because it preaches good this way. No. He says, you said you're going to make a pledge. I'm sending them on the way. I'm not coming with them. Go ahead and take up the offering and have it ready when you get there. Why? He answers the question. Now concerning 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you do this. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him. That didn't sound like a 10% tithe. Okay. That there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, in other words, we're going we're to have a, an approval process of sending out missionaries, then will I send to bring you li- your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, then I'll come. If it's necessary, if I get to, I'll come with them. In this text in 16, 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians, there are five truths about Paul's instruction for giving. I want us to notice these if we don't get any further today. Number one, there was a collection. Was that pretty simple? They took up an offering. Do you take up an offering today? I told a new members class this morning, COVID messed us all up. Not only do I have COVID fog, I can't remember my name sometimes. I, I don't even think about talking about the offering. And guess what? Somehow, people still give. That's a great thing, by the way. Take a 20-second TV timeout to tell you, if you've been coming here for five years, I probably haven't preached on giving but two times. And this is the second one. If you've been here for five years or three years or post-COVID, I don't talk about the offering. Part of it's because I don't even think about it. And somebody's out there saying, well, you better start. I don't think about it. I was like, probably should have said something about the offering. A couple principles just for you to know. This church gives. I told you last week, 65% of our regular attendees give regularly. That's crazy good. Bad side of that coin is they don't give 10%. Okay, but they give. The badder news is one out of three shouting on credit. Okay, so... Or don't shout at all because they're honest enough not to shout and don't give. So that's fine. I don't mention the offering, but people still give. Why? I'm glad you asked. This is kind of what Paul's talking about. When you tie in 1 Corinthians where he tells them how to give, and you tie in 2 Corinthians where he says, hey, take the money up. Y'all with me? Take the money up so that when, you, when they get there, you don't give grudgingly or out of necessity. It's very practical. I, I got excited because it really makes sense. And, and it ties together, and I'm, like I said, I'm perfect a lot of the times, but not all the time. I don't want to be and never plan to be the pastor who only preaches on money when the, when the offerings are down. If I get to the point where I'm preaching on money, trying to get you to give because we had two weeks of low offerings, then we got a bigger problem than you giving. 
So I don't want to do that. I don't want that burden on my shoulders. I'm not a used car salesman. I can't tell them a lie as easy as some of them can. When you open the hood and everything and it's white and corroded, well, I don't know what happened. It's not, it wasn't in the bottom of high rock. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm persuasive. I'd like to think it. But my role as a pastor is not to persuade you to give. My role as a pastor is to teach you that giving is biblical and an expectation of God. And to provide services and ministries through our church that you'll be happy to give to. And you'll want to give to. And then to show you results. Not new buildings necessarily, but salvations. Kids growing closer to God, growing in grace and knowledge. Families coming together, doing the things the right way, the, God, the way God planned for them to be. By the way, there's a lot of babies on the way for somehow. I don't know how all this happened. I mean, I know how it happened, but I'm just saying. <laughs> be careful with the water fountains. Speaking of water, it was good that I was preaching on giving last week because while I was preaching on giving, uh, we were blowing hundreds of thousands of gallons of water out while I was speaking. So give extra today and pray as we have a conversation with the mayor to have mercy on us. There was a collection. He said, take it up. But Paul said, this is an important principle. He said, I'm not off target. I'm not off task. Paul said, hey, go ahead and take it up because I don't want them to get there and then you feel obligated to give out of necessity begrudgingly. Which comes into the, hey, y'all, y'all see this? Pre Look at him. Do y'all see his shoes? Man, his shoes are war slap out. Would y'all please give to him? Did you see that Datsun he drove in in? I mean, I'll tell you, the tires are wore out on that thing. Will y'all please give to him? Kids, y'all kids come up. Show them, show them your shoes. These kids, they're, I mean, they're walking around in flip-flops. Y'all hear where I'm going? That's the used car salesman. Y'all give. Please give. Look, they, they might not eat. Which most bad pastors come around, 350 pounds. <laughs> when he did, you don't believe that, right? They don't put fat kids on the commercials to give money to, right? right? Or plump kittens. So anyway, now, what is he doing? He, the, the preacher's trying to persuade you to give out of obligation. And man, I didn't come wanting to give, but I probably ought to give. Look at that kid's shoes. No, and the verse goes on to say, hey, don't give that way because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here, here's in the text. If you don't hear anything else, tie these two texts together. This is breaking news. Paul, like God, knew and knows us like we all know ourselves. And he says, purpose in your heart to give. That means decide. That takes out the pledging, by the way, in my book. Because you might be emotional right now and feeling sorry for that kid's shoes. I'm going to give $100 next week when I get my taxes back. Then you go to H&R Block, you don't get as much back as you thought, and now your buzz is gone, and you're like, I ain't giving nothing. <laughs> right? We're emotional creatures. Oh, look at that poor kid. Look, got chocolate running. When's the last time he took a bath? I'm, put me down for $20. Next week, you got mad at your wife, kids disrespectful, you come to church, you're mad, 
I ain't giving nothing. And Paul knew that, and he says, hey, purpose in your heart that you're going to give. And by the way, take it up now. Do it now. They're not here yet. Take it up now. Because I don't want the missionaries to get there from Macedonia, and you feel obligated to give. I hadn't read that that way before I had made up my mind as pastor. I wasn't going to come in here and beg people to give. I shouldn't have to. No preacher should ever have to beg people to give. Why? Point number one, it's biblical. It's expected. They took up an offering. They, there was a collection. Oh, that's number one of number one. Oh. Number two, just in this 1 Corinthians 16, one through four, not only was there a collection, the collection was taken at or by the church. Church is important. Local church is important. It's biblical. They took it up at church. How do I know that? Took it up on the first day of the week. When the church met, maybe they didn't meet like a church like Central Baptist, but they met in the local church on the first day of the week. They take it up at church. Do we take it up at church? Yeah. Has things changed over the years? Yeah, there's different methods of taking up money. One envelope in that plate. Goodness. <laughs> what month is it? What is fourth? Today's the fourth Sunday? We need two more in there. So we got plates here. We got boxes in the back with arm guards. We got online giving. We got ways to give. We take it up at church. Now, I've, I've done the research, and um, most of our giving is done on Sundays. It's weird that some are like on Tuesdays at 6.30 in the morning. It's just mine comes out the 1st and 15th at 12.01. <laughs> it's, it's funny to me. Like, I don't know why. I get an email, boom, 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 that's gone. It's like, wow. Hope I had money in there. That poor preacher. He needs a... <laughs> Boing. Number three, everyone was expected to give. Oh, how do I know that? Look at verse two, 1 Corinthians 16. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you. It's biblical to give. Everybody should be giving. It was an expectation. Let every one of you. Number four, individuals give based on their prosperity. That's what he says. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up in store as God has prospered him or her, Title IX. That there be no gatherings when I come throws in what I just talked about. Take it up now. I don't want you feeling obligated and giving begrudgingly extortionately is kind of what, what the word actually means. Like somebody made you give, and you're like, mm, please. I learned this. My wife thinks it's funny. Some of my friends think it's funny. Anything that comes out of my wallet bigger than a 10, I just keep some cash around. I buy my lottery tickets in cash. I don't want to. I'm just kidding. But I learned it from my dad. He would squeeze the life out of that $20 bill. Anybody else do that? I mean, just till it squeak, worker, 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 to make sure. They think it's funny. It's like, um, you don't want to give them two when you only owe them one. See, I made that transition real quick to church. I want to make sure they only get one 20, not two 20s. What if you slip and give 40? 
Miss Brenda, I made a mistake and I gave you two. <laughs> I went above and beyond this week and I ended up giving you 40 and I really only meant to give 20. That would never happen. I'm trying to be funny to make this palatable, but you'd be amazed that the people won't change back in the church. They give on their prosperity, not just on the 10th. I talked about this last week. Like, oh, I mean, oh, how much money did I make? Let me do the math. And then here's the question. Here's the question you haven't asked for, but here it is. Gross or net? <laughs> right? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, thou shalt give upon thy gross. No, no just kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> I heard a preacher respond to that one time. He said, somebody asked him, do I give them a gross or a net? And his answer was, which one do you want God to bless? Don't have a verse for it, but maybe it's good wisdom. Number five, giving was for the ministry of the church. We've already covered this. To bring liberally or to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem, the ministry of the church is the Great Commission. He says in verse three, bring your liberality unto Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. The giving was not for the preacher necessarily of the church. The giving was for the gospel, was for the Great Commission, for these ministers to go out and do what God has called us to do. When we give, uh, I knew this would happen. God loves a cheerful giver. The passage says, give not out of obligation or out of covetousness, but give bountifully, not grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving to God is biblical. In verse six, I gotta do this. Of, this. of these verses where in our text, Paul is talking about how to give or why they're gonna give. In verse five, he says, take up the offering beforehand. Notice verse six, 2 Corinthians chapter nine. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now I'm gonna tell you this. Well, let me just finish the verse. And he which sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. There are people who by our nature would say, well, if I just read that verse, well, that ain't talking about money. It's exactly what he's talking about. He just got finished talking about taking up an offering. He didn't just change his tra train of thought in his mind and say, oh, let's, let's talk about, no, he's talking about giving financially. Giving out of your bounty. Sound familiar? Jesus talked about that. Reaping what you sow, he that sows sparingly shall reap also. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. There are biblical principles about giving. We don't give as an investment to gain on our return. Now that sounds so obvious. And you would think I was lying to you if I told you that there have been people who have said they think the church ought to pay for A, B, and C in their personal life because they've given for 50 years. I'm, I'm in the direction of a pastoral staff member and he will amen under his 
breath right now, that that's happened. Under my pastoral leadership, recently, well, I've been giving the church for over 50 years. I think it's time for they to pay. And they've mentioned two different things. We ought to pay off for them. Now, touch your minds at ease. They're not here today. They still think they're owed something. They're not the only ones. There are people that have that mentality that I've been given for years. They ought to do something for me. Now, let me, let me, let me set the record straight. Everybody ready? I know. Time's running out. Everybody ready? If you're faithful here and you're involved and you're invested in this ministry, this church takes care of its own. We take care of people. We do things, as I told the class this morning, that me, you don't know about. We, have a, we budget for household of faith. We, we've paid bills for people. We do it with stewardship in mind, and we don't just give frivolously and let people go buy lottery tickets with it if we can help it. We, we follow processes to help people. And if you're faithful here, and everybody knows you are, you get in a fix, this church is going to help you out. All I got to say is, we got a family in need. Boom, $3,000. Boom, $4,000. A couple years ago, I said, we've got three families I know right now that are in need. I don't want to take a special love offer. You want to give to it? Give, blah, 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 blah. About $9,000 came in in two weeks. It's a giving church. People care. So don't you go out of here. Please don't go out of here saying, uh, he was talking about something, you know, I kind of was, but that's not our giving expectation. We don't give expecting to get back from the church. But God has said, if you give, you're going to receive. Ooh, I felt my inner Joel coming out right there, right? <laughs> I'm about to throw out a J-O, but I put my own initials by this. You ready for it? Here's a reality. This came from me. I didn't read this from anybody. Based on Jesus' principles on teaching, based on what Paul is saying here, please take this biblically. Some people haven't received what they could because they haven't given like they should. Now, that's not the same as God blowing out your tire because you didn't give. That's not the principle that Jesus taught. That's not the principle that Paul taught. But there are some people who don't receive like they could be receiving from God because they haven't biblically been giving what they should be giving to God. That didn't come out of the Baptist faith and message. That came out of the Holy Bible. It is biblical to give to God. Would you stand with me? Yeah, there's four other points. Here's what I know. I say this often, and I mean this as genuinely as I can, and I hope you take it the way I mean for it to be taken, but most every person in this room, if we're honest and not covetous and not selfish and not proud, we will say that we have been blessed more than we ever thought we would be. If we're really honest, we'll say we've been blessed more than we deserve. 
from the, from the one on the lowest socioeconomic status to the one in here on the highest. If we're born again, full of the Spirit of God, we have to honestly say we have more stuff than we deserve. We'll be spring cleaning, won't we? Probably already started when you thought it was spring and then it froze everything up. <laughs> and I joke, my wife knows it is a joke. By the way, I'm a woman when it comes to clothes and shopping, I can't help it. And I'll start throwing stuff away or putting, I'll throw it away, but I burn it because I don't want anybody else to have it. No, I, I give it to Goodwill or I give it to somebody. And I'll start singing, I am blessed. I am, and I kind of do it as a joke, but it's like, aren't we blessed? When we can have a yard sale, most of us, and sell stuff that people would love to have and put a quarter on it. Dude, when we have a yard sale here or home, I didn't have it to take back home with me. I stack them deep and sell them cheap, right? I get 25 cents. And then you start thinking, I'm selling this for 50 cents and I gave $26 for it. That's how we know we're blessed. I'm not talking about you're owing 26% on a $50,000 credit card blessed. I'm talking about when you got more than you deserve. Here's the question, point two. Have we realized it all came from him? It all belongs to him? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, it all belongs to him. If you're having trouble giving, and you're a Christian, and I think those things happen, what'll help is you understanding that it's all his anyway. It all came from him, and he's allowed you to manage it. He's allowed you to steward it. And trust him that if you give the way he expects you to give, he will bless you more than you deserve. It's biblical. It's not a Joel Osteen sales tactic to pay off a building. It's all paid for here. But we got a lot more we can do. Can I talk to the church real quick? We got a lot more we can do. We got a million dollar budget that we meet. One million, 45,745, I think is what it is. And we meet it. With 65% of the church giving less than 10% on average. Imagine what we could do if we gave the way God has blessed us. Doesn't mean the salaries increase, it means we can do more. We can great commission more. We can reach our community more if we give the way God has blessed us. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.